0: Hello everyone and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Angel Rose O'Grady, a healer, channel, and author who lives in San Diego with her husband, Ahonu. Angail's spiritual journey began at the age of 19 after the tragic death of her first husband just three months after their wedding day. She dedicated herself to finding the answers to the deepest spiritual questions while exploring consciousness and its expansive potential. Anne Gale, during the past 40 years, has learned, practiced, and taught many energetic and psychic healing modalities, and she's been doing individual Akashic readings for the past 15 years. Now, in 2010, she began group readings, and they form the basis for the book we will discuss today, A Time of Change, which is the first book in her upcoming Honest to God series. So welcome Anne I'm delighted to have you.
1: Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: You know, I had the pleasure of a reading with you, and I must say that I was blown away. But I wasn't surprised because your book has such interesting and profound information. You know, it really has the ring of truth.
1: Uh, thank you. Yeah. You- That's what I strive for. That's my <laughs> whole intention.
0: You know, you say you draw your information from the Akashic Records, and I, everybody has heard the term. Can you define the term for us?
1: Yes. The Akashic Records is really the record of all creation. You know, simply put, everything that has ever happened in this universe is recorded in spirit at some level as a frequency of information, and that has to do with ourselves as well. Every lifetime we've ever lived, everything we've done since we first came off of source, is also recorded in a plane and spirit. So there are people who can access that field and bring forth that data or that information uh, for individuals. So, in, in like of a private reading, uh, as I did with you, I'd be opening up your own particular library. Some people call it a library where their library book is held. Uh, other people might call it a huge database of information, but really it's the um the fact that everything in creation is recorded as information.
0: You know if people have trouble thinking about this concept, I think probably the best analogy is a computer with its memory banks. This yes, is all information encoded in you know light, really?
1: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And even though there are people who believe that the records are located in a particular place or plane, I actually believe that they're, that information can be accessed anywhere. Hmm. I think it's in the cells of our body, even. I think the history of life is actually in every cell of our body. I Because I don't perceive any separation uh, with us and with that information, because we are actually part of the all
0: that is. Yeah. They talk about the holographic universe, how in a hologram, a a tiny little piece actually contains the information of the whole. Yes, absolutely. So it's not terribly surprising that our DNA could actually be the key to accessing that kind of thing. How and when did you first encounter the Akashic Records?
1: I think I was in my 40s. See, I have to think of these years. (laughs) Um, But I was a meditator, and I would take time every day to go into meditation. And I would uh, suddenly just find myself in my own records. And it was usually that a guide took me to uh, my library or showed me something or gave me a videotape of a past lifetime. But it was always with a particular purpose. Uh, either it was something I hadn't reconciled or it was an ability I had that I needed to remember. So, uh, But I couldn't get in on my own. It was always a spontaneous thing. So I went and sought out uh, a way to take a course to learn how to read the records consciously. And I was actually taught by two Jewish ladies, uh, believe it or not, in Chicago. And uh, they taught me how to get in consciously, which changed everything for me.
0: Wow. And what is the basis of getting in consciously still meditation?
1: No, it's a particular prayer that you say. They had what they called an old Mayan prayer that got translated into English. So there is a way to say the prayer. Uh, but once you do, I mean, literally you're just in a completely different uh, level of energy. And it took me two or three weeks to actually get used to the feeling of it because it was so different than anything I'd experienced it felt heavier believe it or not it felt heavy on me but um, that's all gone now that doesn't occur anymore but after my body adjusted to it uh, it was easy
2: hmm.
1: Yeah. and they first teach you how to read your own records so that was you know when I learned to read my own I was actually for two weeks I was brought to just videotapes of lifetimes, um, past lifetimes, things that occurred this lifetime. But it was always, again, for the purpose of reconciling events or either asking forgiveness of something or offering forgiveness. So it was two weeks of that. And um, they called it erasing my records, even though you don't really erase anything that's been recorded. But I, I prefer the word reconciling.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a bit. I think that's what happens to people when they have a, a near death experience and they see their life. They see their lives flash in front of them for their life review. I, I think I was going through that now.
2: Uh huh.
0: So, I, I like the idea of reconcile because it's a bit like what a bookkeeper does with the with the ledger. You know, you reconcile the the negative and the positive.
1: Yes, absolutely. You balance it out. But I, just to just to give you a little example, they even showed me a girl who, in my when I was in high school, um, this girl wanted to be my friend, and I didn't want to be hers. And they even showed me um, how she felt by me rejecting her friendship. And I, I, so in that moment, I, my heart just opened, and I asked her in my own heart. To forgive me for just being so heartless, but even something as small as that that you would you know a one time occurrence that you'd forget about as you continue to grow up, but they didn't miss anything hmm. <laughs> it I, was quite interesting
0: i've I've heard very similar um recollections from from other people who have had uh life reviews in in a near death experience it's Fascinating. So uh, it's a bit intimidating as well because everything you do just kind of hangs in eternity forever.
1: It does. In fact, I had a woman say to me, what about everything you think? You know, like when I'm driving down the road and (laughs) I see a driver do something silly and I say, well, that person should get a ticket. (laughs) She goes, do you mean to tell me that even that's recorded? And I said, yes, it's all recorded. Uh-huh. It kind of took her aback a little bit. But that's why, um, honestly, throughout the book, there's a lot of conversation with Source about non-judgment. And uh, it, Source drills that home over and over and over again throughout the book, you know. Mm-hmm. But but that's the reason, because, you know, everybody literally is you and you are them. So it puts a different spin on everything,
0: I just want to clarify one thing when you talk about the life review. I mean, and I'm just uh, referring to your book. There's no sense of judgment about your actions. No. It's so you know we talk about guilt.
1: Yeah, guilt is interesting. Source actually told us that guilt was. Useless, and the reason for it is because that when you when you feel guilty about something or you think somebody else is guilty about something, what you're really doing is you're you're locking an event in place in eternity. In other words, um, I could use my brother's example. My brother died when he was 22, but he was not nice to me when I was growing up. He was very mean, and so that's my memory of him. And, you know, I would, when I would speak about him to people, I'd say, yeah, well, you know, he just wasn't a nice person. And he came forward about two years ago through some family constellation work and, uh, said, you know, you're holding me to that. I, it's not who I am anymore. And so Source uses, uses the same sort of reasoning and says, uh, when you accuse somebody or you remember, A particular thing they did or a thing that you you yourself did and you focus on that and you hang on to it and you say there's guilt there, that locks everybody concerned in place so that nobody is free to move out of that particular time frame, let's say. Um, The event is locked and it doesn't get freed. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that was a fascinating explanation.
0: I wonder if that's the same mechanism when people are in deep grief and they can't let the grief go.
1: Uh-huh. Yes, and so it's, just, it's <coughs> excuse me, the same principle applies. Mm-hmm. You know, and this is interesting with our memories that we do, we do lock things in place. And not only do we lock things in place for ourselves, we lock things in place for everybody involved. And there's an aspect. So like when someone dies and we can't let go, they, there is a part of that spirit that is still attached to us or corded to us that doesn't, uh, isn't allowed to be freed. And mm-hmm. vice versa, if there are spirits that are attached to this earth plane and to the people here, the same thing applies.
0: Interesting. Tell us, tell us what karma
1: is. Karma, to me, is simply the law of cause and effect. And what it really says is like attracts like, you know, or what you think and believe uh, will come back to you or you'll see a reflection of it. But it's a little bit more than that. It really is a balancer. And I'm going to qualify this and say that the law of karma, in my opinion, is beneath the law of forgiveness and grace. Forgiveness and grace uh, erases all sorts of karmic effects. So karma really is um, anything that you feel as a soul that you still need to balance, any sort of uh, inequality or action against another uh, or them against you or, or any kind of emotional state that isn't reconciled, I would put all of that into a karmic situation where now there's balancing to occur or we began speaking about reconciling things i would call all of that karma mm-hmm. but but what's interesting is that it's, i need to say that it is not source that requires that it is us it is us as souls uh, in in the process of learning that we are each other and learning how to be responsible for our thoughts and actions this law is in place uh, because we're in duality. Now, if you were not in duality, if you were in unity consciousness, I don't believe that karma would apply, as it doesn't apply, it doesn't apply in the animal kingdom.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I find that interesting, because animals don't think and reason and decide, make decisions. Do so they're not under that particular law, which I, again, I find quite interesting.
0: Hmm. well animals kill to survive and that's the way they were constructed so it would be pretty harsh if they got karma because yes. of it
1: well they don't think and reason mm-hmm. the way if you think of our thinking process is how we sit down and we, we think about things and we make judgments and we make decisions um, there's a conscious, a conscious thing that's involved with that that is an actual process and they don't do that you are correct in that they they're run by their instincts yeah
2: mm-hmm.
1: so
0: uh, how do we um determine what our purpose is here i mean that that's you talk in the book about uh the contract that we make But it's a different kind of contract than what one usually thinks about. You know, it's not like you're being held to the letter of the law. It's you that's making the contract for your own personal
1: growth. That's correct, yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since I've been reading the records, it's one of the, the most wonderful things that I get to answer for people when they do come for a reading When they ask about their sole purpose, and a lot of times it is not what they expect. You know, it can be. It's very different for everybody, and not everybody fulfills their contract. Some people don't do what they set out to do, and others do. And, uh, but it really is something each person, and it's very individual. So, how do you find out about it? Well, I have used the records, but. Certainly, if somebody's in meditation or they're doing some automatic writing, they can be having a conversation with their own inner self through that and be asking those questions and possibly receive their own answers. But more than that, we could go back to, you know, how we feel when we're children and what our desires were like. I can remember being very young and just knowing about healing, for example. Or um, knowing about colors or or miracles I just was born remembering
2: Mm. and
1: I'm very maternal I always knew I I wanted to have children so that would have been part of my plan as well as the way I've been led I've obviously been led in my life which showed me what I was to do so it can be like that but you know there are cases where people let's say in their past lifetime they had polio Um, they may come here this life strictly to play sports
2: Mm -hmm. or to use
1: their physical body and maybe not do anything that we would consider uh, spiritual or conscious. But to them, that's a victory.
0: So I, I get the feeling that the contract is really more like a screenplay. What am I going to experience in this lifetime? And it's like the world's your oyster and you can, you know, kind of, put together the, the bouquet of flowers that you want to, to smell and experience.
1: That's true. And the only other thing I'd add is, is that it all does have a purpose to it. You know, it's, it's not that, well, let's say there are people who just come here with what I call an open-ended contract where they just are here to have as much fun as possible and experience as much as possible. But there are other people who have a deliberate thing uh, that they want to get accomplished for their own soul mastery. So they will set up challenges or confrontations or uh, tests and trials throughout the course of their lives as an opportunity to master certain things that they didn't do so well at before. But again, it's,
0: it's not that somebody else is giving them a grade. It's that they are... Uh, yes. Yes, they're
1: grading themselves, absolutely.
0: Right. Mm -hmm.
1: So are there really,
0: um, does good and evil, dark and light really exist? (laughs) That's a very touchy question.
1: (laughs) Um, Source would not label anything, period. It probably would not label anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, give it a name it wouldn't give it a name see that that i find very interesting but it has made the point to say that anything against the life principle um is not what it intended so i i find that interesting because it to me it forces a way of saying uh yes you know there are forces out there that are against my intentions which is life and life being um something that has the permission or the right to unlimited uh, expression okay so that's why when people do something destructive and of course it's allowed also in creation But you know sources idea is ecstasy sources idea is you know bliss it's not uh, you know it's not anything that's destructive or harmful to another living thing so you know it's a touchy subject so on the one hand If we were down here in duality consciousness, we might label that uh, evil, since it's the word live spelled backwards. But source wouldn't label it, but it would definitely say that things that are contrary to its life intention, uh, it would not regard as, um, you know, what it wills.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And obviously, too, there's, you know, if I could just interject, I mean, there's obviously you know, spirits that are are not friendly, and forces that are not friendly, and source would say they are not against the life, they are against the life principle. Hmm.
0: How do you think they got that way? You you write extensively about the fall from paradise that altered life on earth. Is that where the, the sort of negativity arose?
1: Well, I do think the more dense you become, the more you go down in densification and you um, you know you start to experience things in a more material way that those survival uh, things come into play in greater and greater detail. And I do think that has a lot to do with what people are motivated by and what they're after. But you know, certainly with with the description of the fall, you know source did explain to us that as this planet piece of this planet fell to a denser frequency and the inhabitants on it went with it, that now the mind the well the mind or the spirit was actually split into two memories, two distinct memories, uh, one of paradise and one of uh, falling or you know going into a denser vibration and certainly that does if you look at you know there's a cause and there's an effect. Uh, like attracts like. So, you know, the denser you fall in frequency, the more you, things of like kind are attracted to you, and your memory of an original, uh, paradise self starts to diminish from your memory. And now again, you're, you're at a survival level. You're not the light being that you were before, uh, that didn't require food and didn't require competition or anything of that nature. So I think that's a lot of the reason.
0: And you've you've lost connection with your soul, presumably, with your spirit self.
1: Well, yes, your spirit self can be traumatized, like I mentioned in the book. And that was a real surprise to us when Source was talking to us about the trauma that a spirit went through during the fall. And... It also reminded us that that's the self that is the thinker. That's the one that is using the body to experience third dimension. Maybe
0: this would be a good time to actually describe your distinctions between spirit, individuated spirit, soul, mind, and so on.
1: Yes. Okay. Well, future self. Excuse me? And future self. And future self. Yeah, I know. Well, source-defined spirit as the, the essence of life, really. It'll say that that spirit essence is perfect in the sense that it has the intelligence to know how to multiply itself, how to, how to continue to live, how to reproduce. All of those things are innate in our original spirit essence. So on the level of the stuff that we're made of, that spirit stuff, we are all perfect. However, um, once a spirit becomes individualized, it is now on a journey and it is having experiences through various dimensions and realities and time, and it chooses and it thinks and um, and it concludes about the experiences that it's having. And, you know, once it makes a decision or a conclusion or an association about an event, that it's gone through now that spirit you know that determines really the quality of that that spirit and it further went on to explain that the mind is really a field of or a substance that takes the conclusions of an individual spirit and turns them into concepts or perceptions and then that info gets relayed through the brain down through the body body says okay right you know uh, i see what i have to be what i have to do uh, how i'm formed but all of it is really coming from the individuated spirit so when sources talking to us about the fact that our spirits can be damaged or traumatized that was quite an awakening because of all the many Uh, theories and systems that are out there that say that healing occurs at the level of the mind but it doesn't you actually have to go further and look at your spirit and see what's going on there before any true healing can happen so that's how it explained that and the future self uh, that particular night when those cells were coming towards us um, that is very difficult to explain to people but it was almost it if Source had uh, all of its creations and all of its beings were created um, masterful. And Source is holding that those masterful selves uh, back home with it while the individuated spirit is out here sojourning around, having experiences and perceiving its identity uh, in a much smaller way. So it was that night that those selves came towards us It actually felt that it was because of this time period that those selves could even come forward. And what it was was Source really sending forth the memory of what we were before we ever were traumatized and said, okay, this is the truth. This is what you're really made of. This is your majestic selves. This is the self that you think you're going to arrive back to someday. But here it is already intact, and it's really just a choice to merge with it. And uh, we actually all felt that self. We felt it come close. Our, our bodies reacted to it. It was quite an amazing um, experience, really. But it's not like that self is just uh, automatically going to do that. It, it had a great degree of choice in it about being. Uh, remembering who you were and what your choices were in terms of deciding if you were done having experiences on all these different levels. It's almost like sort of saying, you all perceive that you're on this journey and you're having fun on the journey. And until you're done having fun, you won't really decide to merge with this self that's always been intact. But the feeling that I had was that if we were to ever Say yes, that we were going back to being that self, that there was a whole other set of creations that that self had done that we just have no, no awareness of at all.
0: Hmm. Do, do you think we have multiple selves?
1: I'm sure we do. I, I think because we are the all that is, that we have selves that are experiencing uh, an infinite amount Of possibilities all over the universe it's why some people would say I know uh, I'm from Venus or I remember being on the pre-80s or uh, had an experience with an ET for example you know they're probably aware of cells that are living in those other realities right now
0: Mm -hmm. are ETs any different from us in terms of spirits and souls
1: that 's a really good question miriam i 've never really asked if e t s have souls and what their souls would be like, but that 's certainly a question that i 'd love to bring to the records. I am aware that there are definitely other beings uh, some look similar to us, some don 't um, some are at different levels of advancement or, you know in their whole evolution but my my feeling is is as we're asking the question that they would be on their own evolutionary journey as well just like all things are really animals are plants are uh everything in creation is
0: you would think so yeah
1: yeah mm-hmm. okay so i would say yes that they'd still all be in their own relationship with source and and i think that's an important point to make because source has said that that what we needed to remember is everything on its journey is on a journey because it's trying to discover its own relationship with life and with the Creator. That's that's really what propels everybody uh, towards some sort of movement. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: What were, were some of the more surprising things that you learned during your akashic forays? <laughs>
1: Well, I think the one main thing is how Source, uh, first of all, we never appealed to Source, to the answers. I only opened the Akashic Field. It was totally unexpected that it was the energy of Source that came through and continued to come through. So, So that was a surprise. But having said that, I've become a lot more calmer inside myself and a lot more accepting of whatever happens, because Source would explain things from various levels. And in so doing, it would always give us a big-picture answer. It would give us uh, how it would apply into our individual consciousness. And I got a sense that all is well, that, you know, everything is allowed that's Source is aware of everything, that no one's lost, nothing's lost, that no matter what happens, you live forever. And so that was constant through the answers and the fact that Source could basically talk about the financial collapse and at the same time uh, tell you that it doesn't matter a hill of beans. Hmm. But then also answer you with, well, okay, if you want a solution, you could always consider this. <laughs>
0: <But> <laughs> Easy enough for source to say. Excuse me? Easy enough for source to say that it doesn't matter. Yes,
1: I know. But you see, that's the thing, though. It would give, it would give suggestions. For example, people would ask about food, okay? Mm-hmm. The whole big uh, genetically modified food concern. A source would acknowledge that concern it would give its opinion, and there were some things uh, that it would give a very strong opinion about in terms of the degree of something being against the life principle. You know, it would have no problem coming out and saying uh, that's an abomination, okay? But then on the other hand, it would say, well, consider consider that you don't need to be eating as much food as you've all been eating and also that you can receive Nourishment from the sunlight. If you would all get up in the morning and gaze at the sun while it's rising for not in seconds. Oregon, not in Oregon. That's right. Okay. Well, you're right about that. But you know, perhaps you could go into a meditation and see it. You know, I'm sure that that would be just as real. Mm-hmm. But I think the point I'm trying to make, a source would say, yeah, they're messing with your food. Um, do grow your own foods. Get your own organic seeds. Get them now. Um, but consider eating less, and consider drinking more water, and consider you know feeding yourself on color through the sunlight or through a meditation. So to me, those are all those are all very practical answers, mm-hmm. and and it does bring the whole reality back to us all about. How we consume food and how we're dependent on food and you know so it does cover a wide range of levels and just that one answer
0: i actually interviewed um hira matan Ronick uh uh years ago who had been studied by scientists and kept in seclusion uh, who claimed he uh, got his nourishment directly from sun gazing and uh, apparently, we really are kind of like solar batteries,
1: but I well we 're made of light and sound, yeah, I mean, our flesh is made of light and sound, so of course, why wouldn 't we be fed i mean that 's really what we 're getting when we eat food yeah yeah we 're getting the sunlight you know processed through a, a flesh body or a plant body. It's just it's one or two or three steps removed from direct sunlight.
0: Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And our body does have the ability to photosynthesize the sunlight. You think and we're all going to... Turn it into, into food by colors, uh, distributing colors throughout our body. It, it, I think it's the point, the point that we're all very dependent on our pleasures. And if people really were to take a look at the pleasure of eating, the pleasure of the social interaction, the emotional part, uh, that's really where the issues are, okay? Why somebody couldn't just tomorrow decide they're going to live off of prana. Uh, they'd probably starve themselves to death if they hadn't cleared all those other things. No, no it's, 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 it's a simple concept, but in terms of practical application, it is a process of consciousness and of being ready.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to go back to something you said about um at this time. You mm. you kind of indicated that um people were getting it's like the veil was getting thinner. More information was coming through, more people were awakening at this time. Right. Uh, I I certainly as a, a reviewer have been getting flooded with books of people who are having the most extraordinary awakenings, people from every walk of life, um, are, are you seeing this uh, wave progressing?:
1: I do see it as a continuing uh, process i I do feel it's in terms of its intensity, will peak this this year, this month. And, um, it will, it will just kind of decrease a little bit in terms of its intensity. But I see it as an ongoing process, certainly up to 2017, uh, maybe even into 2020. But I, you know, I'm noticing even myself lately that the quickness of, uh, cause and effect are really, really sped up in terms of instantaneously thinking of something and somebody answering you immediately without ever having physically spoken Mm -hmm. so so much of that is is going on and sources told us that uh, those particular light codes that are coming toward uh toward us actually through the whole entire universe it's not just earth it's our solar system and many others is actually uh, being orchestrated by source itself and that it does that at periodic times uh, for the evolution of a species or the, the awakening,
0: you called your book a time of change. What did you mean by that?
1: Yes, it means that this is the time that we all have a really accelerated opportunity uh, to change so many things, change paradigms, uh, accelerate our own spiritual mastery, uh, looking at it 's a time When everything's really up to scrutiny, you know, looking at the truth underneath systems and things that have deceived us for a long time, looking to where we put our own uh, energy and our own beliefs, and this is a time where we're being provided extra help, you know, to be able to have those things revealed, to heal uh, with more intense uh, frequencies of light and color than ever before. So we are in a period now of accelerated opportunity toward mastery. So what this, why this book is called that, it's really a record of all of the deep questions that people have had in their hearts about this time we're going through and what's happening and uh, you know how do we handle certain things if they're not always pleasant. And, you know, the book addresses really the concerns of many, many people. Mm -hmm. as they're moving through this acceleration, and everybody is feeling it and noticing it. Even my mother, who who is a a staunch Catholic, is uh, really waking up to some realizations of her own, which is pretty remarkable.
0: Interesting. Um, We all want prosperity, but you have a very interesting definition of prosperity. Can you go into that?
1: Yes, that was one of the surprises that you met. You were asking me about. When we asked Source's opinion of prosperity, um, Source explained it that true prosperity was communication with all life. And, you know, it's the kind of answer that when you hear it, you just know that it's right. And um, suddenly, you, me as the one who's receiving the info, when Source said that, you get a visual immediately of what it would be like if... Uh, you know, you looked at your dog and you knew how it felt. You looked at the trees and you you were aware of them as beings and you were having a communication with them automatically. It's the difference between knowing that everything loves you and you love it. And that seemed to be what Source was saying, that that's true prosperity. That if you were really in that state where you didn't perceive that, if you never perceived an enemy, let's say, okay, on any level, and, and I'm going to say down to illnesses and things that we say are enemies to ourselves, if you really looked at everything and you were commu- in communication with it on a level uh, where that was not present, okay, you, you would be in a state of absolute love and bliss every moment, And that state would automatically produce a flow of abundance because that's what it is. And I thought that was the most remarkable answer. It's very different than our view of prosperity where we perceive ourselves as a separate self that has needs that we have to somehow get or obtain by doing certain efforts or certain things and that we're each out for ourselves and our own prosperity, that is really different, very different than what Force was talking about. I've never been in that state where you're just in a flow of, you know, beautiful peace and love and things just seem to come, you know, things that you would need just seem to come without you asking. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: They're just present. It's because you're in... You're in a flow of love with everything and you perceive everything as there to love and support you and there's no other thought of anything else.
0: It's sometimes difficult to overcome our conditioning where we're conditioned to expect struggle and uh, believe that we're victims and believe that we're in competition. And, you know, the the universe is a finite place, so it's either me or them. So changing our mindset to one of unlimited abundance for everybody, of of a generative universe, is sometimes easier said than done. Do you have any suggestions on how to do it?
1: Well, I'll give you a little, I'm going to give it to you, a spiritual exercise that happened to me. And it's a small example. But uh, I was going to a seminar one time from Delaware to Philadelphia, and I had to cross the bridge into Philly. And at the end of the bridge was a stoplight, so I stopped. And here were these uh, young boys who were uh, wanting to wash your windshield for some money. And I had, at the time, I had very little. I had $5 with me uh, to go eat my lunch. And I, so I waved to these boys to say, no, don't wash my windshield." But they didn't listen to me, you see. They kept washing my windshield, and I was watching myself getting really, really angry that they weren't listening to me, and they were now... Now, I was now in a conflict inside myself, and all of a sudden I clearly heard a voice that said, that's your son. (laughs) And I went, oh, my God, okay, because I do have a son. And it was saying, look... That boy out there washing your windshield is no different than your own son. And so I reached into my wallet and I handed them my lunch money. Now, when I got home, all of my three children ran up to me at the car and they said, Mom, guess what happened to us today? You know, we made these little popsicle stick trivets and we went out and we sold them and we each made $5. (laughs) (laughs) But it was such an obvious uh, demonstration of what source is talking about, okay that everybody everybody is you, and the whole competitive idea that there isn 't enough is simply not true and you look outside and you see all the leaves on plants and all the leaves on trees and all the the seeds that drop from trees every year, and there 's no way you could look out and say there isn 't enough. you know the problem is is the way it 's being distributed and it 's being distributed from a selfish, competitive frame of reference. And it's not uh, a cooperative idea or a cooperative paradigm, and that's the problem. So when you ask how we change it, you know, yes, there's the examination into your own beliefs about that, but also, you you know, sources often said to us, um, gee, do you know who your neighbor is? You know, do you know what they need? Do you know who's down the road? Have you established any sort of you know community amongst yourselves that is based on sharing and love, and it sounds very fairy perhaps to some people, but in the story that I just reported to you it isn 't it 's a very practical law of cause and effect, so I watch myself in terms of when i 'm being confronted with sharing or giving i Pay attention to what am I thinking at the time, and then I go from there in terms of how I make a choice
0: mm. well, certainly at this uh at this season that we're recording this, you know on the run up to Christmas, this is um very appropriate conversation
1: so because, you know ultimately ultimately Miriam, everybody wants to feel loved, yes that's really what it's all about and any sort of a demonstration to anybody on any level of love and kindness you know will start that flow of abundance
0: well it's like the prayer of St. Francis when I'm hungry give me someone to feed if I need love give me someone to love
1: yes absolutely
0: so Angel how do people find out about your appearances your upcoming books and so on
1: all right thank you for that uh, I have a website. It's called com.
0: I think a- we need to spell that.
1: Yes, we do. <laughs> okay, it's a-i-n-g-e-a-l-r-o-s-e dot com. rose dot com. And they can email me at uh, rose Angelrose at rose dot com. And if they're interested in the book, they can purchase it from atimeofchange.info and, of course, it's on Amazon, and it's all in all the electronic formats through Smashwords.
0: And, of course, it's on ncreview.com as well.
1: ncreview.com. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you for that.
0: Well, um, do you have any words to leave us with as we head into December 21st, 2012?
1: I do, and as you're as you're presenting that to me, um, source is showing me a narrow line, and it's really saying that we're in such an interesting time that on the one hand, miracles can be caused faster than ever before by a simple shift in mind, by a, a simple change of attitude and yet on the other end because the energies are so intense right now and will continue to be that if we go into fear we will manifest that very rapidly as well and so I don't perceive the world ending in on December 21st I think it's a huge uh, doorway open into infinite miraculous possibilities Very, very quickly. And um, that's what I would like to leave people with, that, you know, people are going through difficulties during this time, there's no question. And I would just say this is the time to really just make a different choice or look at yourself and um, love yourself and know that you deserve the highest and the best. And that we can all create uh, more of heaven on earth right now. Hear, hear. Yes.
0: Beautifully said. Well, that's our time for today. We've been speaking with Angale Rose O'Grady, the author of A Time of Change book one in her Honest to God series. And Gail, thank you so much for being with us. Bless you.
1: Thank you, Miriam, for having me on, and happy holidays.
0: Happy holidays. And I hope you'll join us next week when our guest will be composer Michael Hoppe, discussing the beautiful CD that he made in collaboration with actor Michael York called Prayers. And now it's time for our track of the week with music selected by Scott Johnson from among members of the Positive Music Association. They use music to make a positive difference in people's lives and in the world. And this week we're featuring Amazing Things by the queen of heavy mental, Janna Stanfield.
2: You will do amazing. Oh um, no! Um, my-
0: Jana Stanfield singing amazing things from her album, Let the Change Begin. A humorous songwriter and educator, Jana combines laughter, wisdom, and her million-selling songs into an interactive experience that generates fun and positive action. You can visit her website at JanaStanfield.com. That's J-A-N-A-S-T-A-N-F-I-E-L-D dot com. To discover more great music or to join the PMA, go to PositiveMusicAssociation.com. Well, that wraps up our show for today. To find more books and films, videos, author readings, and other fun stuff, be sure to check out our website at ncreview.com. You can leave comments for us on our Facebook page at facebook.com ncreview. And if you enjoyed our show, I do hope you'll tell your friends. So until next week, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.